Amen. Any song that's got yonder in it speaks to me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> well, guys, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon this morning. We're going to look together in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 7. And I ask if you'll please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture as we read together Psalm 32, <clears throat> verses 1 through 7. This is God's holy word for us, his people today. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let's ask him to bless our time in his word. Father, we do ask that you would speak to us now, not only through blessing the reading of your word, the word inspired by your very breath, but that you would now bless, indeed, the preaching of your word. May you open up your word to us, and you be our teacher. You speak to us, and we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this has been an interesting week at the Grubb household. I don't know if anybody saw my email on Wednesday, but uh, I came home Wednesday after lunch with a lovely visitor, a stomach virus. <laughs> and uh, so Wednesday was, was bad. Thursday was bad. And I started feeling better on Friday, but then my poor wife had what I had. I had to share. And so I spent, I spent my last hours recovering on Friday, taking care of her during her worst hours on Friday, and then taking care of her on Saturday. So we were rough. We were, we, it was rough. We were, uh, and the worst part about it is, um, is that, you know, had I known I had a stomach bug on Wednesday, I wouldn't have eaten so many hot wings for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a betrayal. My favorite food. It's like Judas, you know, betraying the Lord or something. Well, not that bad. Maybe Brutus betraying Julius Caesar or something. It's, but either way, it's bad. What a betrayal. You know, I thought we had something special. 
So I'm going to have to lay off those for a while, unfortunately. Um, but in the midst of, of all the uh, excitement, um, that left me with precious little time to prepare uh, a regular sermon like I normally would. So uh, in the few hours I had on Saturday, I put together a few thoughts and some observations um, on, this, on this Psalm 32. And what I want to do is <clears throat> I want to introduce a new sermon series that I want to preach for this season of Lent that we're entering into. Um, I did this last year when we looked at uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Um, and in Luke chapter 6, Jesus, well, Luke presents Jesus's um, sort of, mat- well, here, Matthew gives the Sermon on the Mount, right? And then last year I preached Luke's version, which is the Sermon off the Mount, because it's on the plain. And so I gave six sermons on that during the season of Lent, and it was about love, Jesus's commandments on love. But this sermon series uh, for Lent, these six sermons, I want to focus on the theme of Lent itself, and that's repentance, the theme of repentance. Uh, so traditionally, Lent is not in the Bible, so you, we're free not to observe it. Um, that's fine. You can, you can ignore Lent with no sin. It's not obligatory to observe it, but it is something that comes from Christian tradition, and it's something that that we observe in a, you know, in a general way here at the Forks. And the purpose of Lent is to get us to spend time focused in on repentance. As we lead up to Holy Week, where Jesus has the triumphal entry, and he's betrayed, and then he's condemned, suffered, crucified on Good Friday. And so this is a time where we're sort of taking that journey with Jesus, in a sense, on the way to his suffering, and then with Easter, going down into death on Good Friday and then rising with Jesus and to walk in his resurrection life. And and so it's a way of taking Lent and Easter, 40 days before Easter and 40 days after, and it's a way of taking that and saying that's the pattern of the Christian life. That's shaped like baptism. You get baptized into his death, and you're raised up in the likeness of his resurrection. And so the life of Jesus is the shape of baptism, and we allow that life of Jesus to also shape a whole big section of our church calendar where we sort of walk with Jesus through this season of fasting, repentance. And typically you can give up something for Lent. Of course, that's something that isn't obligatory, but the whole purpose is just to get us to focus on giving up something, And the main thing is that we want to give up is sin. And the way you give up sin is through repentance. And so what I want to do is, is in these six sermons is talk about repentance. And in the first three, including this morning, I want to talk about the the three benefits you get from repentance. What the three spiritual things that God does for us when we repent. And then in the last three, I want to talk about the three things that are required of us to have true repentance. And I don't start with the things that are required of us to have true repentance because that's not where the Bible starts. The Bible starts with gospel, not with law. (laughs) The Bible starts with here are God's promises. Here are the gospel promises to those who repent. And I want to start by just getting us to focus in on the spiritual gifts and promises and blessings that God has for us when we repent of our sin and we turn to him. And then we'll talk about the things that God requires of us in order to truly repent and to come to him. But that'll be second. 
Beginning this morning, I want to talk about the first benefit of repentance, and that is repentance is healing. Repentance brings spiritual healing. But before we can see the healing that repentance brings, we need to see what the lack of repentance does to us. Rather than confessing sin and acknowledging sin, as it says in our text in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. When we don't do that, when we, do the, when we do the opposite of the second line in verse 5, and I did not cover my iniquity, when we cover it, when we don't acknowledge it, when there is, in, in the words of verse, the end of verse 2, when there is deceit in our spirit, what happens to us when we hide sin in all the different ways that we come up with for hiding it? And the answer is hiding sin. This is point one on your handout. Hiding sin is destructive. It's spiritually destructive. And it can also be relationally destructive, financially destructive, you name it. it can, the destruction of sin doesn't just stay down on the inside, but it can have these ripple effects that move out in subtle and unseen ways at first that come up later. It causes all sorts of distortion and destruction in our lives elsewhere. To see this, let's look at uh, verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4, the psalmist says, David says, For when I kept silent, what's he keeping silent about? Well, in context, he's keeping quiet about his sin. David has committed some sin. I'm so glad he doesn't tell us what it is because that leaves it open for us to make application to us. If David said, I kept silent about this specific sin, well, then, you know, we could make a general application, right? Well, if I kept quiet about that sin too, then I would also have David's problems. But it doesn't matter what David's specific sin was. It's just the fact that he was being quiet about it. The fact that he was keeping it hidden. He was trying to cover his own sin. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Now, this is poetry, so we don't have to just imagine that David, every few hours, got alone in his palace and closed the door and was like, oh, and just started groaning. And we don't have to imagine that it's super, super literal. We don't have to, and we don't have to think that his literal bones were starting to decay, right? This is poetry to make a deep, spiritual, and very literal, a much more interestingly literal point physical bones wasting away isn't the least of David's problems. David's problem is that on the inside, he is wasting away spiritually. As it says at the end of verse 4, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. What sin does is it has, it's like this spiritual sickness, okay? And I'm thinking about sickness this week, (laughs) And, you know, I didn't know I had a stomach bug, but it was in there, and it was doing stuff to my stomach. (laughs) It was messing me up on the inside, and the symptoms were revealed later. How often does sin treat us like that? We have sin, and at first we think, you know, hey, it's not so bad. You know, nothing's happening. I'm kind of getting away with it. 
I mean, yeah, I committed a sin. I felt kind of bad. I haven't really repented. I'm kind of going to do it again. And so far, nothing's really happened. I don't know. And maybe you start flirting with, uh, with that risk. Okay, maybe, okay, I've done it twice now. Nothing's happened. You know, and there's a verse in the Bible about that, about how foolish we are. There's a few like that. And it says things like, because, and this is in Ecclesiastes, because the sentence, because the punishment of a sin doesn't happen right away, we take that as a green light to keep going. Because a sentence isn't carried out quickly, we get encouraged to sin all the more. Paul talks about this in, in, in Romans 2, when he says that, that we are treating God's kindness to us, his leniency, his patience with us, as grounds to keep sinning. What's happening, though, is that that stuff is corroding us on the inside. That sin is corroding us on the inside. We're wasting away. Our very bones are wasting away. And eventually, it's going to work itself out. And the symptoms of that are going to become evident. And it's going to work out in subtle ways. You're not going to maybe expect every way it's going to come out. I didn't expect this sin that had nothing to do with, you know, my finances to end up making me have problems over here in my finances. I didn't think this relationship issue that I was sinning in was going to have an effect in this other relationship that's got nothing to do with that person. I didn't know that my spiritual life was going to suffer because I sinned in this way over here. And, you know, after the fact, you're like, well, maybe that makes perfect sense. I can see the connection now. But beforehand, sin, it's doing this deceptive work. We think we're being deceptive by hiding sin, but sin's being deceptive with us. It's letting you think you're getting away with something. And what's happening is sin is corroding us on the inside because sin just has natural consequences. It has its own natural consequences. And God governs a moral order. God governs a moral universe. And God has designed the world in such a way that our sin will have deleterious negative consequences, corrosive consequences upon us. And eventually, this spiritual groaning will turn into real groaning as we experience the suffering that sin brings in real life. Sometimes, Christian, have you ever just wondered, why do I feel so spiritually dry? Why do I feel like I don't have the interest, the fervor, the zeal that I once had for the Lord? Now, there could be lots of reasons for that. Lots of reasons for that. But it's worth asking ourselves the question, is one of the reasons this? You could be spiritually dry and not be hiding sin. That's absolutely possible. But if you are hiding sin, you can take it to the bank. That's why you're spiritually dry. Are you experiencing a dry season as David says he was? My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Sin will do that. It will cause a spiritual dehydration. It will just suck the life out of you. And one day you will not have the interest in repenting. You will not have the zeal for the Lord. You will not 
be interested in prayer. You'll have little interest in church, the things of God, the kingdom, preaching, spiritual discipline. It just, it, it just won't taste right. And that's because your, your spiritual taste buds are just dry as a bone. You can't, they're not working anymore. You're wasting away spiritually. And then we get this in verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Sin has its natural consequences, but God also sort of applies pressure. Your hand was heavy upon me. It's like David could feel God just kind of pushing and pushing and pushing. And the New Testament calls that the conviction of the Holy Spirit. For us who have the Spirit, who are born again, who harbor sin and don't deal with it like we know we should, God, by His Spirit, just knows how to put pressure on us and let life squeeze us in different ways and let things go south and you know William Tyndale said that if it comes down to it if a Christian is stubborn enough God will grind that Christian to powder to make him opposed to his flesh and opposed to his sin if he has to break you a thousand different ways to get you to finally fight sin he'll do it God's hand was heavy upon David. The conviction, the guilt, the risk, the frustration, the spiritual poverty. God had a way of pushing on David's heart, pushing on David's life, and pushing on his circumstances. God is sovereign, and he is supreme. And one of the ways he works all things together for our good is to make a lot of those things go bad so we can realize that we got to stop holding our sin so dear. And we've got to not keep silent and not hide it and not cover it up. Stop letting it have its destructive power over us. You imagine a church, the fellowship of a church that's built on honesty about sin. That would be a very different kind of church to belong to. We're a group of people, not on Sunday mornings, today I sinned like this, or this week I was dealing with this, not in, you know, not in embarrassing sorts of ways, but a fellowship of people who are like, there are five, six, seven people here, or a small group I'm in, or whatever, where I know I can go and talk about what I struggle with, and what I deal with, and what I've failed at, and where I keep failing. And I don't have to stay silent for fear of embarrassment, or for fear of being made fun of, or for fear that everybody else is a better Christian than me. But I can actually get it out, and I can talk, so I can stop withering on the vine by myself in isolation. Too many Christians feel so isolated because they're so quiet. And you don't know what each other's dealing with because you won't talk to each other. But if we'd get real, and we'd share, and we'd talk, and we wouldn't be silent, sin couldn't flourish like it does. Sin flourishes in the dark. Sin loves the darkness. Jesus said, those who are in sin hate the light. They don't want to come to the light because they don't want those things to be exposed. But here the, David is saying, that's the way of wasting. That's, that's the way of spiritual death. Don't go that way. So point two. Confessing, hiding sin is destructive, but confessing sin is life-giving. Confessing sin is life-giving. To see this, let's look first <clears throat> at verse 5. 
after that negative description of verses 3 and 4, what does David say in verse 5? I acknowledged my sin to you. Of course, this is addressed to God. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. God began that healing process for David. Once he exposed that sin to God's light, once he stopped covering it, once he stopped trying to keep it in the dark, once he stopped harboring it and flirting with it, and he said, I'm going to confess this to the Lord, I'm going to bring this before God, I'm going to renounce this, I'm going to acknowledge my sin, I don't want it anymore, I want it out, I want my iniquity gone, I want my transgressions, my violations of his law, I want that over. This isn't just a, okay, you caught me, I did it. Promise I won't do it again. Both fingers crossed behind my back. It's not that kind of acknowledgement. I'm guilty, but there's a grin on my face. Yeah, it was me. No, no. This is a renouncing of sin. This is open before God, knowing how wasting away you are, saying, yes, this is me. This is me in my raw vulnerability. This is my sin, and I don't want it anymore. This is a plea to God to get it out. Take it out. This is a kind of repentance that goes all the way down. This is a kind of repentance that, that understands that at the depths of my being, I am wrong and you are right and I want you to make me right. Lord, take the scalpel and get all the way down and get it all out this sin sickness. I acknowledged my sin. I took the lid off. I stopped covering it up. I confessed it to the Lord. And you know what God does when you do that? He doesn't bring down the gavel. He doesn't thunder with his lightning bolts. He doesn't crush and condemn. He wants you to come confess sin to him so that he can do what he loves to do. Forgive it. That's what he wants to do with your sin. He'll punish it. Yeah, sure he will. Your hand was heavy upon me. And if we don't repent, we remain under God's condemnation, under his wrath. That's true. But what does God really want to do with your sin, Christian? He wants to forgive it. And he doesn't just want to forgive it. He wants to replace it with his blessing. And that's verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You notice that word covered showed up again? He said in verse 5, I did not cover my iniquity. In verse 1, he said, he covered my iniquity. Stop trying to cover your own iniquity, your own sin, and let God cover it. We cover it with deceit and silence and misdirection and justifications. Let God justify you. Let God cover your sin with the only thing that really can cover it. And that's the blood of Christ. And that's something that doesn't just remove the guilt. It's something that actually heals the blessedness of this man. He's not wasting away. He has God's beatitude, God's blessing, God's richness and wholeness and peace down in his very marrow, in his bones. To know that I've got this sin out, it's gone. 
He's forgiven it. He's healing me. He's restoring me. He's giving new life to my bones. My groaning is over and my joy has come. I'm not dried up as in the heat of summer, but I am flourishing by the rivers of God's grace. Drink deep at that river, Christian, and know his blessing that heals us all the way down, that can heal those old wounds and scars that sin leaves behind, that can heal the deceit that's in our hearts, that can give us a new spirit. That's what verse 2 says. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. To turn a deceitful spirit into an honest spirit, that's what God's forgiveness will do. Acknowledge your sin to the Lord and he will forgive and he will heal and he will bless. And this, verses 1 and 2, Paul quotes that in Romans chapter 4. And he says, that's the doctrine of justification by faith. Romans 4. He said, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his iniquity. That's the gospel. Where God takes someone who's ungodly and forgives them and makes them right. And restores them and makes them the blessed man or the blessed woman. The thing that stands in the way of our blessedness is our sin. But when we're honest with sin and we try to keep it out of the way, we can experience God's blessedness unhindered. And that's a blessedness that's solid and secure no matter what our trials and situations and circumstances can bring. Hiding sin is destructive. Confessing sin is life-giving. And then finally, the daily rhythm of repentance. We see this in the last two verses of our passage, verses 6 and 7. David says, Therefore, because of God's forgiveness and this blessedness, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Isaiah says, behold, now is the time of salvation. Today is the day. And Paul quotes that in his letters to the Corinthians. Today's the day to call upon the Lord. Every day is the day to call upon the Lord. This is not a verse that says, wait till you've built up a huge sin problem and then sort of get it out one day and then go back to the way it was. This is a call for everyone who is godly to offer prayer, a prayer of confession, a prayer of requesting forgiveness, a prayer of honesty before the Lord, asking for forgiveness, keeping short accounts of sin and dealing with sin on a daily basis. Let everyone who is godly Learn the daily rhythm of repentance. You know, Martin Luther famously wrote the 95 Theses that we sort of credit with the beginning of the Reformation. 95 Theses or 95 thesis statements that he wanted people to debate him on. 
95 debate points is how you could think of them. And the very first one was about repentance. And the very first thesis of the 95 theses said, and I'm paraphrasing, when God commands us to repent, he means he wants all of life to be one of repentance. Not repent once in a while, one time here and there, but let repentance be a daily rhythm where you go before the Lord and you ask him, Lord, if there's any impure way in me, I confess it. I want you to heal it. Remove it from me. Lord, the sin that I have committed today in word and thought and deed and what I've done and what I've left undone, Lord, those things I did against you. I repent and confess. Heal me so I can be more sanctified, more obedient, more sensitive to that sin tomorrow. And learn that daily rhythm. That's how you live in God's blessedness. We think of God's blessings as him raining down material goods. But if you want his true spiritual riches in your heart, in your life, live in a way that keeps the obstacles to those riches out of the way. Live in a way that keeps the gates open. Live in his forgiveness. Live in his blessing. Live in his life-giving word of forgiveness. That's what the gospel's for. It's about curing those groaning those groaning souls that we have. It's about healing those wasted away bones that we have from sin and making us into new living creatures that don't run from God, but run to him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. And when you go to God and you lay yourself bare before him, he doesn't surround you with jeering and mockery and condemnation, the end of verse 7 says, he surrounds you with shouts of deliverance, shouts of salvation. Jesus said that there's more joy in the presence of the angels in heaven when one sinner repents than when 99 people don't need to repent. More joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than in 99 who need no repentance. God surrounds you with shouts of deliverance, shouts of salvation, and the loudest voice in the crowd is his. That's what he wants to do with you. He wants to surround you with shouts of joy and deliverance. That's what he wants to do with your sin and mine, is forgive it, and to take it away and replace it with his blessing. These are just some of the things that Psalm 32 can teach us, that repentance is healing. And this is what the lesson of Lent is. This is what Lent is for. It's about taking concentrated time to do spiritual inventory and to look in ourselves and as a symbol of giving up sin, fast from something. Again, it's optional. There's no obligation to do that. But that's what it's for. To do without something physical like food or some activity, giving up Facebook for Lent. A lot of people do that. Whatever it is you want to give up, it's supposed to be a little parable about how we're giving up sin. We're laying something down, and we're searching ourselves to seek the repentance and the forgiveness that claims God's blessing. And then in Easter, we rise with the glory of the Lord to walk in newness of life. 
Learn the lesson of Lent and learn the daily rhythm of repentance. And you will know God's life-giving, soul-curing, rich and abundant blessing. That's the promise of the gospel, the healing of repentance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of the gospel and the promises that come with repenting of our sin. We thank you that you are so, so patient with us when we struggle with sin, when we are fearful to acknowledge it, or when we're foolish enough to think we can get away with it and not be harmed and not harm others. Lord, we ask for your patience with our foolishness, and we ask you to give us the encouragement that we need and the help and support we need from your scriptures and from our brothers and sisters to find someone that we can have that sort of relationship with, that Christian relationship with, where we can acknowledge sin and we can seek help and we can trust that person to give us the gospel, not mockery or not embarrassment. Lord, help us to be a fellowship in a church that's built on these sorts of honest accountability relationships where we love each other enough to be honest, where we're real enough with each other to say, yeah, this is what I deal with. This is what I struggle with. And help us not to feel like we're living in isolation, that we're the only person who's dealing with this sin or we're the only one who's struggling in this way and there's no one we can talk to. Lord, help us to, help us to move past that, that line that we often believe. Lord, help us to open ourselves up to living in a daily rhythm of repentance. Help us, Lord, to seek your full forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to know your true blessing, to bring that restoring, life-giving health to our souls that makes us right with you. This is such a gift from the gospel, the healing of repentance. Give us that gift, we pray, as we flee to Christ and we seek our our full good and our eternal joy in the blood he shed for us. We ask it in Jesus' name.